2: We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com.
1: Hello, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bayer, and this is our 373rd episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, I have a special on-the-road show from Food on the Edge, which took place in Dublin, Ireland in October, and I was there participating as a speaker, and I will share more details in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start with my PR tip. Then later, we'll have a bunch of interviews I did at the symposium and close out with my solo dining experience. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to tell a good story. Share your personal experiences with others to inspire, educate, and entertain. Keep it real and in your voice and be authentically you. There isn't one way to tell a tale or style to be had. What matters is the truth told from the heart. So tell stories that are genuine, as storytelling is an art that can and will be appreciated. That's my tip today. Okay, so as I mentioned, today's show is all about Food on the Edge, which took place from October 16th to 17th in Dublin, Ireland. So what is Food on the Edge? Well, It's a two-day food symposium that brings together top international chefs and industry professionals, featuring about 50 speakers who are chosen for their innovation, passion, and influence on today's food culture. And I was really thrilled to be a part of it. It was my first time in Ireland. It was my first time attending this symposium, and... I was there as a speaker doing a panel on my new book, Chef Wise Life Lessons from Leading Chefs Around the World by Fiden and JP McMahon, who is the symposium director is in my book and he was on my panel and really the reason I was there. So thank you, JP. We'll get more into it in a moment, but it was really quite an honor to be on stage and to be a part of this fantastic symposium that took place at the Airfield Estate, outside of the main hub of Dublin. And the theme was storytelling, hence my tip today. So that carried out throughout. It was two full days of programming with speakers who mostly gave kind of TEDx style talks on different topics. And they were about 15 minutes each. My panel ended up being 30 minutes because there were... Many of us on stage, but uh, it moved very quickly because it was it was a packed day of just lots of very interesting, dynamic speakers talking on different topics under the theme of storytelling and related to the culinary industry. The symposium also had some master classes going on, as well as a trade market component where they had different food and beverage vendors showcasing products. And they also had a bookstore where they were selling lots of the speakers books. And my book Chef Wise was there and I signed copies for people. So that was awesome. And there was amazing food and drink throughout the day from delicious bread and coffee and pastries in the morning and lunch and We also had a speaker's dinner the night before, which was awesome. It was just perfectly executed. And I was, again, very honored to be a part of this conference, followed by two days of excursions, which was amazing. About 25 of us who were involved in the symposium took part in group activities together, which was planned by JP and his team. And it was amazing because again, I hadn't been to Ireland or Dublin and we got to see a lot of the area and do a lot of fun activities and bond. A really lovely country and really great people. As a part of our excursions, we went to Johnny Fox's Pub, which is known to be the highest pub in Ireland. And it was fantastic. We had dinner there. We shucked oysters. There was music. It was a pretty large venue. There was a lot happening. And uh, another highlight on the second day, we had lunch at a restaurant called Aqua. And we took a boat out onto the water. The sun came out right then and it was lovely. And we closed it out at Old Street restaurant and at this fun Irish pub in a different town called Malahide, which was very charming. I hope to get back at some point soon so I could see the rest of the countryside and get to Galway and visit JP's restaurant. You'll hear in my solo dining experience, I did have some wonderful meals in Dublin, which I will share later in the show. So thank you so much Okay, so before I tell you who you're about to hear from, I'll just say uh, a little about my panel, which, again, was on my book, Chef Wise, Life Lessons from Leading Chefs Around the World, I fight in, and J.B. McMahon, who's the Symposium Director of Food on the Edge, is in my book, and he was on my panel, as well as Andoni Luis Adariz from Mugaritz in San Sebastian, Spain. i seen him now a few times at different events. I went to Mugaritz back in 2013 and had a really special experience. And Andoni had an interpreter during our panel because he speaks Spanish. And so we mostly communicate through our Eyes, I would say. <laughs> but um, he's fantastic. And thank you to our interpreter uh, who helped us out. The other panelists were Elena Regades, who I've also seen quite a bit this year at different events. She is from Rosetta in Mexico City. And I've also been to her restaurant. I was there several years ago on a trip. And Elena was named Latin America's best female chef in 2014 by... World's 50 best, and that's amazing. And she's lovely, so thrilled to have her as a part of the panel. And finally, I got to meet Tala Bashmi, who's a chef from Fusions by Tala in Manama, Bahrain, in the Middle East. And she was awarded the best female chef by the MENA regional of the world's 50 best and she received this in 2022 so it was amazing to meet her and one day i hope to get to restaurant so those are my four panelists thank you all so much it was a thrill to be there on stage with you and in front of the audience which there was probably about a few hundred people under the tent and the airfield estate big congratulations to jp abigail Julianne, all from the team, everyone involved. So thank you all so much. Now coming up, I have eight interviews. Some are a few minutes long, some are a bit longer. Everybody introduces themselves as we start each conversation. So you'll know who I'm talking to. And also some of accents. (laughs) So I spoke with amazing people. So first, Alessandro Cozzolino. He is the executive chef at La Loggia at Villa San Michel, a Belmont hotel in Florence, Italy. And I did a semester in Florence, or Florence back when I was in college. So have a, a place in my heart for Florence, and I can't wait to go back and go to his restaurant. Then I speak with Endo Kazutoshi, who is the chef at Endo at the Rotunda in London, which is an immersive omakase experience, which has a very limited amount of seats and it sounds extraordinary. So I hope to get there one day. Then I speak with Rich Shi. He's the co-author of Koji Alchemy and is one of the key culinary explorers of mold-based fermentation in the United States. So you're going to hear about what he does a little bit. Then I speak with Tom Jenkins, and he is a British journalist and the managing editor of finedininglovers.com and Sam Pellegrino Young Chef Academy. So we have a nice conversation about what he's up to and his presentation, which um, is very cool. Then I speak with Arlene Stein, who moderated a few of the panels and has been involved in Food on the Edge for every year except one. And she is the founder and executive director of the Terroir Symposium in Canada. Then I speak with Andrea Petrini, who wears several hats. He's the road manager of Galinas, which we talk a lot about in our conversation, something I've taken part of. And he's also an incontinent writer, a food curator, an oblique strategist. He's a chair of the judging panel for the World's Restaurant Awards and a creative director at the European Food Summit. And he's done so much more. And our conversation is the longest one coming up. um, And we change locations as well. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. But it was really lovely to chat with him. And then I got to speak with Jason Bangater. And he is the executive chef at the Langdon Hall Country House Hotel and Spa in Canada. And we had a really nice conversation and spent time together too on the excursions. It's nice to get to know him. And then finally, I wrapped things up with a conversation with J.P. McMahon, who, again, is the symposium director of Food on the Edge. He's also the chef and owner of Aniar in Galway, Ireland, and the reason I was in Dublin. So that's what's coming up. I hope you enjoy all of my conversations, and then I will come back and share my solo dining experience and... A lot of details also about where else I ate in Dublin, because as you know, I like to hop around when I'm traveling. So here you go. Here are my interviews from Food on the Edge in Dublin, Ireland, from October 2023. Enjoy. Okay, so hello. Ciao. Ciao. (laughs) (laughs) So tell my listeners your name and
3: Okay. uh, My name is Alessandro Cozzolino. I'm the executive chef of La Loggia Restaurant at at Villa San Michele Belmond Hotel.
1: Which is in Florence,
3: in the Florence, region of Tuscany. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Fantastic!
3: Food on the edge for me. It's, uh, it's an opportunity to, to exchange, exchange, uh, uh, and uh, even uh, hearing story from uh, others colleagues, other um, producers. Uh, this is an, an, an a huge opportunity to to be in contact with the, with each other, you know, And especially in 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 a land like. Uh, Ireland that uh, really believe on, um, on nature or, or and they are very proud of uh, of, uh, of their uh, soul about uh, regarding food
1: your presentation was wonderful. The pasta looks so spectacular <laughs> and you. just perfect, and uh, yeah, made me hungry for lunch. So you want to talk a little about what you're doing at your
3: restaurant? Yeah, the La Loggia is a, it's a, it's a, a fine dining restaurant that uh, respect and love uh, the region of Tuscany, and all uh, is made with my personality and the energy of my team. So it's all uh, about uh, what I I, I feel. In uh, in uh, in Florence in Tuscany and uh, the way how we would like to uh, talk between um, the the food and and this is the the main core of of our restaurant. So honestly, uh, honest and genuinity of of our land. Amazing!
1: Well, Amazing. I told you earlier I studied <laughs> in Florence back. Yeah, long time ago. It's one of my favorite cities in the world. I I need to come come visit you. You should,
3: you should come back. For yes, sure.
1: for sure. Um, one last question is, I have a new book out called Chef Wise, which is on chef advice. Do you have any top advice you would give someone who maybe wants to become a chef?
3: I think that uh, it's you should just keep your, your dreams solid and work hard. And I'm pretty sure that some days happen something good for all, for all people that believe in what they really do, what they do. So it's a, it's a difficult job, but it's full of passion and emotions. So I think that they sh- everybody should keep inside these two things emotion and passion and we never forgot who they are and go forward go and work hard
1: amazing well, thank so you so nice much to meet you and thank forward you. To see you
4: see in you all in florence <laughs> Grazie. Grazie. okay my name is katsutoshi endo uh, everybody called me endo so my restaurant is in london we call to endo at Lukanda in white city
1: and what type of restaurant is it? It's omakase.
4: It's a 10 seat, two seating, Tuesday to Friday. So four days, so we walk.
1: I love omakase. So when did you open and what led you to open in London?
4: Uh, 2019, April, actually I opened a restaurant. But the why, reason why I, I live in London because in 2007, I moved to London, come from Tokyo. So it's my job is executive group chef in Zuma. I opened Zuma, seven Zuma, X oh. my, my both together.
1: Did you open the Zuma Miami?
4: Yes, Miami okay. as well, New York as well. Okay, yes.
1: I've been to both. Miami is my oh, hometown. Oh, thank you very
4: much. It's Miami Miami's <laughs> actually, I live in one year. Yeah. New York is a year and a half. So.
1: Yeah, Miami, it, it's known to be a, a hot spot, a celebrity hot spot.
5: Absolutely, yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> so I am actually heading to London after here. I don't know if I'm going to have time to come by your restaurant on this trip, but I definitely would love to visit.
4: Please.
1: Um, how hard is it to get a reservation?
4: That, that's most <laughs> most difficult question. Okay. Because two months, one time, we open the booking. Mm-hmm. So actually, yeah, our booking system is... Open 9 a.m., two months, one time, three minutes sold out. Really? Amazing. Yes. It's now, um, many people say to me, it's a plat- platina ticket. So the par day is 10 to seating, meaning 20 seats only.
1: And is it okay for me to ask how much your amakasi is? In New York City, we have a lot of amazing sushi restaurants, right. amikase, and what falls under the more affordable sushi omakase is $100 or less. Yeah. Um, and then we have, I don't know, over $500
4: Maybe now. New York is like, you know, my focus, for example, my friend of mine, Sushi nozi mm-hmm. in New York is up on side. is like more expensive. Nas? Nas. No, yeah, I've been yeah.
1: there. Fantastic. Yeah,
4: exactly. So my restaurant is 250 pounds plus 15% service charge. Okay. So probably per, per, per head is... 300 between 350 pounds by it. So,
1: yeah, do, 20 courses. Are, do you think there are as many, well, I want to say, competition or compared to New York, as I said, there yes. are so, so many choices, which I feel lucky because I love Omakase. But um, in London, how. Now
4: getting more competition uh-huh. is competitive. Yeah, a lot of competition. But New York and London, uh, London, New York is so much different because London is more, history is longer the Japanese food scene. The second thing is now London is more popular maybe two, three years. Maybe today I I explained to you about Japanese food scene in London. Mm-hmm. Five years ago, I opened a restaurant. Omakase included me only three. Mm-hmm. Then now maybe 40? Yeah. yeah so uh, 50, like a. Uh, only yeah. just five years, it's a lot of omakase restaurants opening.
1: Yes, yeah. and I, I mentioned to you when we were off-air uh, that I did the opening of Sushi Ishikawa yeah. in New York City with yeah. Chef Don yeah. Pham, who uh, you know. I opened Zuma
4: <laughs> New York, he's there. Yeah. Then I showed to him a lot of things he said a say, totally unique. So it maybe New York... So maybe three times a week, so you got easy to find the Japanese produce. But London is zero.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: That's why 100% we using local produce. Yeah. For example, for me, English produce is 90%. Mm. That's a very important engaged with producer or yeah. supplier as well. It's
1: about the relationship exactly because the product is. I mean. It's important in any Absolutely. cuisine, but I Absolutely. feel in Japanese it is. cuisine what you do, it's like it's 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 everything,
4: yeah. right? Yeah,
1: yeah. So we're here at the Food on the Edge conference in Dublin, Ireland. Is this your first time here? Yeah. Yeah, me too. So, what brought you here?
4: Yeah, that's good. You know, it's cold <laughs> today, but
1: A cold crisp yeah, Irish air. It
4: is, but Guinness is nice. But tomorrow, I. I go to Wasta Michelin restaurant in Dublin, so maybe I, yeah. I don't know much about
1: Yeah, me too, Irish but I've been, I've been starting to uh, dive into it and learn more. Yeah. 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 So um, you spoke earlier today. Uh, what, what was the theme
4: of your talk? About my career, of course, but actually I bought a sushi restaurant. That's why sushi is my, kind of my, it's not my job. It's mm-hmm. kind of my life, the purpose of my life. So that's why I really, really happy to introduce our culture-wise. Also now, omakase is in the world, kind of wild standard about Japanese restaurant. It's omakase equal Japanese restaurant. So I, maybe not much people know understanding about omakase. That's why today I'm really happy to little bit more advice. Yeah. Also kind of introduce about omakase spirit. The spirit is like very important for Japanese sushi chef, I think.
1: Yes. Well, your presentation was wonderful oh, with thank your you. the photos were very appealing. Yeah. Um and I do think, yeah, I agree. I think omakase has become more mainstream and more popular. Well, thank you so much. No, thank so you nice very much. It's so nice you. to meet you. And
4: I really hope to see you in my restaurant, too.
1: Yes, I will let you know. We'll stay in touch and please yeah. let me know when you're in New York City so I can send you places.
4: Yes, please. That, that's <laughs> maybe, interesting, too. Maybe
1: meet up with you and we can go out for sushi together and I'll see what you think.
4: Yeah,
5: why not? <laughs>
1: All right, well, thank you so much. Thank you very much.
5: My name's Rich Shi. I actually don't have a restaurant. I'm a fermentation educator. And I focus on koji, uh, which is the driver for uh, essentially most Asian condiments and uh, alcohols. And I'm just excited about it because there are a multitude of applications for any cuisine, uh, any cooking level in terms of your experience to make more delicious food. Where are you based? I'm based uh, just north of Boston, so I spend a lot of time in Boston.
1: And how did you get into what you're doing now?
5: Uh, When I got out of college, I just uh, didn't, um, I was, I really liked to eat and going out to eat was really expensive. So I just learned how to cook. And then eventually I connected with a lot of chefs because of my technical knowledge as a mechanical engineer. And then a chef asked me to make some koji for a a brunch that he was doing. And, And then it sort of planted the seed for me to try a lot of different things that nobody had been trying before with koji.
1: Amazing. Well, what brings you to Food on the Edge?
5: Uh, JP invited me because I had been working with his kitchen staff on how to do things interesting and delicious with Irish ingredients, and he felt that it would be applicable to other people to be able to use this ingredient to expand their you know, repertoire of using enzymes in the kitchen.
1: Well, thank you so much. So nice to meet you. Yeah,
5: same here. Thank you so much.
6: My name is Tom Jenkins. I'm the managing editor of finddininglovers.com and also the San Pellegrino Young Chef Academy. So I'm here at Food on the Edge. I did a talk uh, here about AI and food journalism. I'm also going to do a a panel um, uh, regarding the San Pellegrino Young Chef Academy, um, which is a, a kind of a community that was born out of the San uh, San Reno Young Chef Academy Competition, which is all about kind of nurturing young chefs and and, and helping them uh, progress in their careers.
1: I've known your name and fine dining lovers website for a long time and the San Pellegrino Young Chef Competition. Um, so how did you get involved? I mean, I've been watching from the outside and seeing both of them progress. So first with finding Dining Lovers, how did you get involved
6: with that? Um, in a personal sense. So I, um, I'm based in London. Uh, I'm a journalist. I've been a, a journalist for over a decade now. Um, had always had a, a strong interest in food, had done some Uh, writing about food amongst kind of other um, other subjects Uh, and then ended up um, I found myself applying uh, for a role at Fine Dining Lovers which is based in Milan so um, I moved over there for um, two and a half years. Oh nice. To to Milan to work work for Fine Dining Lovers. Um, I'm now back in London um, but I work remotely uh, for them from London. Um, and the, the San Pedrovino Young Chef Academy um, project, I and mean, this is something that started in 2020. Um, the competition itself has been going since 2015. Um, and, and the Academy was started in 2020, just as a way to kind of continue um, that good work of the competition. So the competition, uh, although it is a, a, a cooking contest, the kind of strongest things that come out of that competition are the, the 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 networking the the connection between young chefs and their peers but also young chefs and and some of the biggest names in, in the world of gastronomy uh, and also the kind of all of the things they learn the mentoring relationships that they they have during that competition so the academy exists as a way to continue that uh that good work um in you know before, after, during the competitions. Um, so, yeah, personally, I kind of... The good thing about working across those two projects is I kind of get to see... Uh, uh, someone described it as both sides of the past, right? So, you know, Fine dining Lovers, we're very consumer-focused now, so my interest in that and who I speak to is is, is the consumer, is the diner, is the, the foodie. Um, but on the Academy project, I get to... Um, go deep into the, the more industry side of, of the world and and um, work with and, uh, and meet a lot of very, very talented young chefs. I think as I was telling you yeah. earlier, um, some of them, they're incredibly young and, uh, and the stuff they're doing, you know, I, I wish um, I could have been as good at something uh, at that young age as, as they are at cooking.
1: Yeah, no, it's amazing. And I told you earlier, I went to the regional in New York, and you just had the competition in Milan. Mm -hmm. How was that? Is it attended by consumers? Or is it an all industry event?
6: Yeah, it's not. um, It's, it's mainly industry. Um, Mm. It's not open um, to the public. So um, you'll have industry, you have media, there is some partners of San Pellegrino and, uh, and Aquapana. Um, there will be um, some influencers there as well. Um, some other uh, big names in the in the food world. Some you know chefs who have maybe been involved in the competition before or who are interested in in the competition. We had Massimo Bottura speaking at one point, and um, his his team from um, a few of his different restaurants cooked the the gala dinner. Um, in terms of the event itself, it was great, and it, there was. There's such an amount of um, positivity coming out of those kitchens when the, when the competition's in full flow. Like, obviously everyone is uh, super focused and, you know, stressed to a point and one needs to get their five hours to cook a signature dish, right, for, for, for a grand jury of, like, some of the world's best chefs. So
1: are a bunch of them are in my ChefWise book.
6: Yeah, and yeah. We had that
1: crossover. Yeah. yeah, your judging panel was uh Absolutely. Extraordinary. Yeah, we
6: had a, we had a great panel um this year. Unfortunately, kind of last minute, two, two of the grand jurors had to drop out for personal reasons. Um but we had Nancy Silverton, we had Ricardo um Caminini, we had uh Vicky Lau, um and then we also had Pierre Leon and They're fantastic chefs yeah. and um they are highly experienced um, and uh, they are perfectly placed to kind of spot this kind of talent. Right. It's what they do on a, you know, on a, on a daily basis, it's how they've got to um, where they are, not just through extreme hard work, but also the ability to uh, spot talent, to nurture it, so that they can then delegate you know uh, properly in their own kitchens. So, as I was saying, the, the great thing that came out of it was, even though all of these young chefs and their mentors are... Working at 100 miles an hour to get that get this signature dish out for the judges, the collaboration between the kitchens, like you know, people are helping each other out, people are hyping each other up, you know, people are jumping in to like help serve the dishes if there's a few different elements. Um, and as I was just saying to you, this is some of the strongest points about the competition. Um, is it's not just the winning of it; it's the the people you meet. It's mm-hmm. the, a lot of these young chefs make friendships for life. They get I know plenty of chefs who've got, you know, um, professional opportunities from this. They're they're collaborating with their peers all over the world, doing four-hands dinners. Um, It opens up a lot of doors. And I think that networking, that connection is is the strong point of, of the competition.
1: It's a really amazing competition for all those reasons and and more. But speaking of the winner, who did take away the prize this year?
6: So it was a young chef um, from Portugal called Nelson Freitas. Okay. So he is a junior sous at uh, a restaurant called 50 Seconds in Lisbon. Um, And uh, he did a um, dish of, uh, it's like a crispy, I can't remember the name of the fish, but it was like a crispy skinned fish. And there was like a sea urchin on the side. Um, and by all accounts, like, everything was there. The like, taste was there. Technique was there. But also the the story behind the dish. The, it, the, the chef was very much uh, highlighting his um, his heritage and the kind of the produce of his region. And I think he ticked all the boxes. And I think the um, the, the, the grand grandeurers were really, really impressed.
1: Yeah, well... I'm sure we'll be seeing more amazing things from him. Look that's, out for him, yeah. That's, that's awesome. And with Fine Dining Lovers, how do you decide what content that you're covering? Are you covering chefs and restaurants all around the world?
6: Yeah, so the, the way it works is we have uh, lovers.com, which is the English language site. And we also have um, French, Spanish, and Italian language sites. Okay. So... Um, it's f- different content. Uh, well, it's about 50-50. Okay. So we have um, uh, about half of our content is what we call global content. So that's content that is um, published across the four, four uh, platforms. And then kind of the other half is what we call local content. So that is content that is uh, more of interest to um, the particular regions uh, for those platforms. So for, for .com, which is I'm the managing editor of that of that platform, um, we're very much uh, focused on um, the UK, US and Canada, um, but we also obviously have an international uh, uh, interest as well. So, you know, we will talk about anywhere, essentially, um, whereas something like the Italian language site will be more focused on, on Italy. The, the Spanish language site is more focused on uh, Spain, Latin America and France on, on France for its more local content.
1: Amazing. So... One last question before we get back to the conference. You, We are here at Food on the Edge, and you gave a really wonderful talk yesterday on AI. So talk a little about that. Why was that your subject? And why do you think it's important for us to be focusing on that here?
6: Um, thank you, first of all. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, I did. I really it's, did. It's a, it's a really big subject to condense into um, 15 minutes. I think when when the... Um, JP announced that the subject for Food and the Age this year was storytelling. Um, I think this is a very, very pertinent subject in terms of being a journalist and in terms of um, what stories mean um, and uh, how much value they have. Um, it's obviously, as a journalist, the idea of regenerative, uh, sorry, regenerative generative um, AI. Um, is something that we're all thinking about. Um, Of course, it is a a threat. Many journalists will see it as a threat to to their livelihoods. Um, And I also wanted to kind of produce... I wanted to give a balanced view of it. It's something that can be a useful tool for us, but obviously none of us really knows um, what's going to happen in the future and how much we are going to become... um, Let's say redundant as journalists because of this technology, but it fundamentally, um, shall we say, impacts our ability as story, as journalists to tell stories. And I think that was why it was so so pertinent. Um, but as I said, it was it's a big subject and it's difficult to condense that down to to fifteen minutes. Um, I think the the overall. Um, Outcome that I, I, I wanted to kind of stress is that we don't really know where where what's going to happen with it. But maybe there is a kind of slight um, light at the end of the tunnel in terms of the possibility that this could uh, eventually uh, have a positive in turning people back towards uh, more trusted sources, higher quality content, uh, content with more value. Hopefully that content isn't, as I was saying yesterday, it doesn't become fetishised, it doesn't become a kind of collectible for, for nostalgias, right? But maybe that the kind of content soup that exists on the internet will become so, um, let's say, diluted by all of um, this AI-generated content that people, it gets to the point where people don't really know what to... Um, believe anymore and then maybe a positive outcome of that could be that people start to turn back to more to more trusted sources but as I said we'll, we'll have to wait and see
1: to be continued yes yes yeah. well it was a it was a really great talk and I think yeah we're going to be hearing or reading
6: <laughs> more of it it's difficult so. to keep up with it yeah. this is the thing it's it's I know. um it's every day we see more and more stories about it and not just the generative AI that, that I talked about in regards to my profession, but the bigger existential threat yeah. of it. There's a lot of um, obvious and understandable doom mongering around it. Um, so it's it's hard to to be honest. It's hard to keep up with the the development of that technology and how it's going to affect all our lives. And yeah, we don't know if the if the um, the companies, the people behind this this technology um necessarily are able to keep up with its development too. So
5: Well
6: uh,
1: yeah, we'll see. No, I think it's really, really great that you, you spoke about that. It was I didn't know what you were speaking about when you got it on stage and I was like, oh, this is very interesting and cool um to be a part of this Conversation that we're having here um, about the industry and about food and about storytelling, and we shall see what the future brings. But you're on it. It's just a good reminder to me to to also be paying more attention to what is happening because it's it is going to
6: change our lives. Yeah, yeah. There's and a lot the of, way we do work. There's a lot of yeah. There's a lot of noise out there, so mm. um, it can be hard to kind of see through all that. Um, but as, as I said, hopefully. I was able to give like a, a an overview and a kind of intro to the to the subject.
1: You did. You did awesome. And congratulations on everything that you're doing with your businesses, with your travels, with supporting chefs in the industry and restaurants. And it's
7: really great to meet you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. My name is Arlene Stein and I run a company called Terroir Hospitality and we uh, do projects and programs where we bring together people working in the world of restaurants and hospitality, namely chefs, sommeliers, artisanal food producers, and we try to create an interesting program that's around inspiration and also talk about, uh, you know, food systems issues.
1: When did you start your company? And I believe you're from... Canada but you're living now in Berlin a little bird told me Uh, yeah
7: so I started in 2007 in Toronto Uh, the main symposium uh, which has been running for 17 years now um, is now in Calgary Um, that happens once a year I've been living in Berlin for 10 years now and in that time we've done projects all over Europe and so, again, because we've built such a great network of, of interesting people, um, we always sort of lean on uh, relationships that we've developed through the symposium um, to look at doing interesting projects in other places.
1: So I've heard about your symposium, Terroir. Am I saying that right? That's right. <laughs> I always get tongue-tied on that word. And you just had one recently, a couple weeks ago. Um, so
7: was there a theme for it this year? Yeah, every year we create a new theme depending on what sort of topical for that year or something that we think will bring inspiration. And we try to tie all of the people that we're inviting to that theme. So this year was about transformation. Um, We'd spent a couple of years obviously talking about COVID and rebuilding and restructuring and rethinking. And we really wanted to do something that was more aspirational. And so transformation for us was sort of like, you know, the of the phoenix out of the ashes and sort of like you know where this industry is going because we still continue to experience a lot of hardships and it's like we want people to be excited about this industry and be committed to it because we want to be able to retain people and get people excited and passionate again about what they're doing and at the end of it you know people are passionate about hospitality because they get to connect with people and create relationships and and let's face it, feeding people and bringing people into a restaurant around food is about celebration. It's about love. It's about caring. It's about hospitality. It's about community. So, you know, we're, we fundamentally believe in that. And that's what we want to do when we create our own community and bring them together under these topics.
1: Yeah, 100 percent. Bringing people together is so important. And so that brings to us being here right now at Food on the Edge in Dublin. So you've participated in this event in the past? Uh, every year except for one. <laughs> yeah, so. and that wasn't, well, there were pandemic years, I think they skipped it, but yeah, okay, so you missed one, well, that's a pretty good track record.
7: Yeah, yeah, so um, I met JP, he mentioned on stage, um Ireland put together a culinary tourism strategy, and part of that was creating... Uh, what they called Irish Food Ambassadors, and they selected people from each of the provinces, I believe, across Ireland, and the intent was to uh, celebrate them but also to bring awareness to Irish food projects products through these people. And one of the um, activities was to do a best product Practice mission in Canada. Um, My friend who was helping me with Terroir at the time runs a culinary tourism agency. And so she led uh, this best practice mission and took them to sort of, you know, uh, places that were already developmentally ready for culinary tourism in Ontario. Um, And that's how I met JP and a host of other people that are here. And um, then Falche Ireland brought a few of us back to do a best practice mission when they were opening the Wild Atlantic Way. Um, And we talked to various stakeholders along Uh, that path, um, who were doing food businesses, food enterprises, food restaurants, um, and we basically just shared our stories and shared the support of how we created the things that we do. And that's where JP and I had the conversation about, you know, what we were doing with Terroir. We invited him to Terroir, and it was sort of not the model that he created Food on the Edge for, but definitively, I think he would say it was an inspiration for what he did with Food on the Edge.
1: I did a conference right before the pandemic called Host. Yeah. Um, And so I know – I know now what it takes to to do a conference. Mine was a day. It's it's amazing to to bring people together, and the fact that you have been involved almost every year. So what I'm gathering, though, is as you're involved, you you then um, get more responsibility because <laughs> you moderated, were involved in many of the panels. So you want to talk a little about uh, the different ones that you did?
7: Yeah, I mean, so with getting. You know, sort of, I would say roped in this year. <laughs> um, I've been. You honest. said it. I didn't. <laughs> I was going to come just as a guest. I um, I've come in the past to speak, to actually uh do um a talk um a few times. I I was the MC last year actually wow. for one of the days, nice. um, and I've in various years moderated other panels. Again, this year I was meant to come as a guest, and then. At the last minute, Abigail said, you know, we've got a panel we need you to moderate. And then that turned into two other panels, which is fine because actually I love moderating panels and and I think I'm pretty decent at it. Um, I also do. Tend- you are. <laughs> I also, um, you know, I just love sharing people's stories. I really, really like people. I mean, I know that sounds corny, but it's one of the things that makes me thrive in the business that I'm in and helping people to connect um, is something that I get really excited about. Um helping people build relationships it's 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 why i started my program of terroir so i'm equally as excited about this um, because i think that um, jp and abigail and their team like over the years we've created a much stronger unity also there's like people on the periphery of that that have also come to food on the edge many many times richard who does photography mm-hmm. who's become a friend he was just in toronto for our program both JP and Abigail came for our program. And, like, I can only hope that we will continue to make those ties stronger. We also did, which most people don't know about, together, uh, collectively, a small program in Milan in January. No, sorry, it was in March. So we did a, we did a combination collaborative uh, with Dennis um, Pizza uh, and Collectibus, uh, JP's team from Food on the Edge, and then my team from Terroir. And we did, like, a mini workshop slash forum uh, along with a learning journey. So, yeah. So there's other projects we can work on as well that are really interesting.
1: Well, it's so nice to meet you and perhaps we'll be able to work together too. A little New York connection at some point. Yes.
7: I would love that. That would be amazing. I love New York. I just come back from New York.
1: All right. Well, next time, let me know and we'll go out to eat. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you, Sherry.
8: Ciao. Ciao. My name is Andrea Petrini and I'm a journalist, a writer, an organizer, and I work, I would say, for myself. I work for my readers. I write for several magazines in uh, France, Italy, the US, believe it or not, even in South Korea. Maybe one day I will even go to North Korea. Ah. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. It was a joke. It was a joke. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah.
1: So... I've known of you for a while, just from someone in the industry who follows the industry, participates in a lot of events. And one of the things you've been involved with is Galenas.
8: Galinas. Galinas.
1: Galinas. And they used to call it the Galina Shuffle, but just mm. Galinas. But talk a bit about that because I've gone to several of your dinners in New York or the Shuffle, mm. and was fascinated by the concept so how did you come up with Galinas?
8: Okay it goes back nearly to 20 years ago Uh, we were in um, uh, there was a festival coming up and a very famous Italian chef was uh, had been asked to go on stage and do the usual show cooking kind of stuff and he never wanted to go he never went and that would have been the fifth or the sixth uh, time the sixth year that he would have refused to go so i was already not far from his restaurant one day he, he says hey i need a good excuse for not going again or eventually a good idea to go, but doing to do something completely different. And this guy, Fulvio Pierangelini, was obsessed by the idea that everybody wanted to copy his recipes. And in fact, he never released the book of himself with recipes. And that night. Uh, by chance, by chance, I don't know if it was a chance, uh, I had insomnia, I couldn't sleep, and at a certain moment I saw, I had this image, like uh, Holy Mary, Mother of God of uh, on stage doing a, a, a cooking recipe, and at the same time, four or five other chefs around him, cooking, doing the same recipe, but in a different version, like, uh, the, the Matrix and the remix. It was nothing revolutionary. I mean in music it it, happen, it happens all the time when a rock band does a reprise of a famous song by Bob Dylan. in jazz when a famous musician does a, a cover of an old standard in electronic music, when you remix someone else's thing. So there was nothing new. Nothing. Uh, I couldn't win uh, the Oscar for innovation or for whatever. It was just as then it had never been applied to to cooking, to cuisine. And so he accepted, we gathered a few friends for the first edition. There was Massimo Bottura, Peter Nilsson, Andoni, Luis Aduliz. and then little by little, uh, other people arrived there. René Rezepi, Inaki Edspitarte, Kobi Destramult, Wally Dufresne from New York. Uh, and we try every kind of year to do either, an event or a series of events, but it's um, something completely out of the box. It doesn't. It's not uh, not in the in the least thing mainstream, um, and uh, we want it to be every year different and uh, expected uh, in order to explore new territories. To be a challenge, and if chefs, even big, big, big chefs, uh, accept. Uh, To to be part of it, it's because it's a a family gathering where they can be outside the restaurant, outside their comfort zone, taking risks. They are not asked to reproduce the same perfection of cuisine the same level of cuisine we wouldn't care you don't ask a big chef to come and be uh, and do something identical to what he does every day You wants it to to push him further and to see how far he can go to exchange ideas share um, intuitions it's an experimental playground and every time it's it's kind of different and for example uh, the shuffle, which was not even an idea of mine. We were doing, in 2014, we were doing a, a, what we call the spiritual retreat in Tosk. And so there was, uh, we were, uh, what, um, 25 uh, um, chefs, chefs. Um, um, that July, there was uh, Virgilio Martinez, Rodolfo Guzmán, Fulvio Perangelini, Massimo Bottura, Anna Ross, uh, Des Ramult, uh, Agata Felluga. And we were trying to discuss uh, what do we want to do next without uh, having to go on our knees and plead um, and ask for money to the big sponsors uh, that they only want to place their products uh, they are um, not interested exactly in what you do. They just see you as a pretext, uh, as an opportunity to place uh, what, whatever they want. And so since we wanted to do something completely uh, out of control from the exterior, uh, we were exploring new ideas. And at a certain point Blaine Wetzel uh, a, a young chef that came out from Norma, and he used to be on uh, Lumi Island, um, oh, right. not far from, uh, yes. uh, from Seattle. From Seattle. Uh, he came and he said, Hey, I have a little idea. And he spread out on the floor an atlas, uh, like a world atlas, and we could see arrows going from New York to Kyoto, from Sao Paulo to Berlin. And he said, hey, what the heck is that? He said, that could be the shuffle. I mean, what if uh, we do it randomly, we pick up names, um, and if it's my name and it comes with a destination, I go to that place, and the guy from that place goes somewhere else. Somewhere mm-hmm. else, and then when we reach our destination, we stay there for a few days. We cook their way. We cook in that restaurant with the producers that they use. With the team um, in in the kitchen, uh, we do a mix of that restaurant. with, with as it seen as it is seen from our own uh, um, personalities, we do a shuffle. And then, even because we were penniless, we said, okay, and you know what? Uh, We don't have the money to pay for the hotels uh, uh, for five days, so when you go, uh, you stay in the house of the chef that uh, is hosting, because it's not gonna be there, it will be on the other side of the world, so you can swap uh, uh, flats. And it was a bit like uh, living in a, in a um, uh, reality show. Uh, live my life for uh-huh. five days. And that thing was meant, uh, that happened in 2015, it was meant to happen once, it was meant to be a one shot, the shuffle, But it had a huge success, and even the chefs started saying, ah, it was so fun, so exciting, ah, we should do it again. A lot of people started to complain. We didn't know when we tried to get the tickets. It was too late. They had already been uh, completely sold. Uh, Ah, you should do it again. So we did it again in 2016. Then we did other stuff. And then in 2018, um... We felt that uh, the world had changed, uh, that we had created the little monsters. Chefs had become uh, <laughs> the new messiahs, they had been spending more time in between two flights uh, going uh, from the restaurant to a congress, from the congress to... Uh, Masterclass from the masterclass to a Florence dinner, for to then for a pop up, etc. etc. They've been spending actually more time outside their restaurants um, than, uh, than in their own place. And also, it's just for the ego. I mean, it's uh, chef Andy going to Tokyo. Oh, welcome, chef Andy. When I'm there, it's my team that is uh, working for me in my restaurant. If you see what I mean. And so in 2018, uh, we 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 changed completely. We did the shuffle. We exchanged the recipes. I mean, uh, every chef created a menu, mm-hmm. but the chefs didn't travel. What did travel were the menus, the recipes, were the ideas. And we called that thing, They stay in tour, meaning that if that night you booked to go to Noma, uh, you were 100% sure that Rene Rezepi was there, will be there. Right. But he won't be cooking his own cuisine 100%, but a remix of someone else's ideas crossed with his own. And that was even more complicated to understand.
1: Uh, Yeah.
8: Interesting. I I
1: do. Yeah. But let me just share with you, though, my experience and why I I mean, I hear you on, you know, you talk about maybe it was just for the chef or the ego. But as a participant, as an industry enthusiast, um, in 2015, I went to the World Expo in Milan Mm -hmm. and took a train down to Modena Mm -hmm. by myself. I travel a lot by myself, had a solo lunch at Osteria Francescana, met Massimo. He sent me home with Parmesan cheese. Mm -hmm. And that's how I met him and invited me in the kitchen to talk. The shuffle was coming up a month later. I found out he was coming to New York to cook at Momofuku Co. And I had a ticket to go. To Momo food. I had a ticket to that dinner. So a month after my lunch at Osteria Francescana, I then enjoyed Massimo's food in New York at Co. And as you said, like he did, it was a different menu. He did his like, like signature, what's the the drop on the plate? I um, dropped the lemon tart. The lemon tart. He did. He did that, but he did like a, it was like a different version of that because mm-hmm. as you said, like they did different dishes. So... I would imagine I'm the only person in the world probably to have two solo back-to-back experiences like that. And that's how I got to know Massimo. And I have this new book out called Chef Wise. And a bunch of the chefs you named are in my book from my travels and meeting them. Um, So Massimo's in my book. And that was really how our relationship started. And then 2016, I went to the dinner with uh, Manu Bufara, Mm. who she was uh, matched with Torst in brooklyn do you yes. remember that yes so and i was at the chef's counter and i met manu then and she's also my chef wise book so when i was putting my book together and figuring out who to ask to be in it it was a lot of it was based on my experiences and relationships so that i had met manu i haven't been to her restaurant in brazil but it came from that so yeah. thank you Thank you. Oh, my. my point of all that is, you were a part, uh, without realizing it, to my my book, my career, my relationships. That's my story with
8: your program.
1: So, <laughs> <laughs> um,
8: thank you. Thanks to you. Anytime. Anytime.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. So. So now in t- 2023, what's the the status?
8: In 2023. Um, Mm, I would say uh, the shuffle, the first one, the second one, the one we did with the Stay In Tour, then the Silent Voices uh, when we did this shuffle of ideas uh, and it happened all around the world, uh, but only in those places that were allowed to be open during the pandemic. Gelinas became gigantic. It was uh, a bit, maybe a bit too much, maybe a bit too spectacular for my taste. People were expecting, ah, ah it's going to be Botura, it's going to yeah. be Rezepi coming to cook yeah. in my little neighborhood restaurant. Pressure. Uh, pressure. Uh, and then I realized that I wanted it to be m- even more daring, even more experimental. And if there is something that 95% of the chef actually don't Give a shit, is the music or the music. If you are unlucky enough and you go to dine and spend your money in a, in a European and threemission star restaurant, you might, you might end up dining while listening to Antonio Vivaldi's four seasons. It's peep, 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 peep. If you go to New York into a hip place, you might feel you are at a heavy metal concert. But again, it's music just used to occupy the space, to fill up the space. Uh, Maybe it's the Spotify list of the chef, uh, or maybe it's the selection of the pastry chef. There's no real investigation. But what, what could happen if a chef asks a composer with a capital C, a musician with a capital M, or a performer with a capital P, someone who is into food, someone who knows his restaurant or a restaurant, someone who uh, understands uh, the space, uh, uh, the the ideas, the philosophy of the food, the the acoustics. What could happen, uh, what would happen if that musician composes a score, might be classical music, might be an improvised music, might be whatever, expressly for that restaurant. Something to go with the food, something to go with the pace to go even against the pace to slow down to accelerate the pace to suggest other things uh, not like the music that you hear when you go and see a blockbuster to underline now you're supposed to laugh now you're supposed to scream because this is a scary Bit uh, mm-hmm. uh, something much more subtle an extra element that would add another Um, perspective to the whole thing. Uh, And most of the chefs uh, don't get it. Uh, They get their free controls. They want everything to be perfect. The lights, the chairs, uh, the storytelling, the the service, the wine list. eh? But music, music or the sonic identity, we could say, of the space... It's the last thing they would spend time um, thinking about. And so we have started this thing uh, called the No BGM Now, No Background Music, and chefs are asked to find their soulmate, their preferred composer or friend composer, and do something together, something to be played uh, in the restaurants for at least a couple of nights uh, to be recorded and then played um, in the restaurant for a limited uh, period of of time. Uh, Pushing that sort of collaboration between two different languages. And as much as the chefs, uh, they find it hard to understand Musicians, uh, they get it immediately. And so it can be, uh, it's gonna result in a different series of performances uh, with a monthly rhythm. The first one was in the French Alps uh, with Guillaume Monjure and a folk ambient uh, uh, composer. The second one was incredible, just uh, um, Ten days ago, in Biarritz, uh, Mathieu Roussaint, a young young chef, who has been collaborating with uh, uh, David Chalman. Uh, Chalman is a classical trained musician. He's also part of the uh, Dreamhouse Quartet, a contemporary music quartet, uh, composed of two pianos and two guitars. He's one of the guitar players, and the other one is Bryce Destner from The National. And they did a thing outside the restaurant in a field that lasted four hours. People when they arrived when people arrived they were provided headphones and chairs to lay in the sun. And the food it was not like a menu of dishes, but like little experiments, different variations around the same product um squid raw cooked uh, uh, squeezed uh, fermented uh, with black ink uh, uh, yeah. and it went with this uh, circular um, noisy melodic uh, iterative music made with a modular synthesizer very cool sign and- me up When's the next one? The next one is going to be the 20, and it's going to be totally different. It's going to be in a brasserie, in a chic brasserie in Munich, in Germany. Uh, It will be three chefs, three Austrian chefs, playing with different artists from the same uh, techno label. The one after that will be, believe it or not, in Ukraine. I thought you were going to
1: say New York City. (laughs) <laughs> no, in Ukraine, in
8: Ukraine, <laughs> with these new experiences of music, with different um, performances, different scales, different formats, uh, different atmospheres. Some might be more classic, like the one we had in July uh, with Guillaume Mangure and the French composer H. Barnes. Something much more experimental, something more um And I'm waiting for Massimo Bottura to do his own, which should be something happening inside the Abbey Road Studios in London.
1: Fantastic. Stay tuned for that.
8: Stay tuned for that.
1: Okay. So um, tell me a little bit about what brought you here to Food on the Edge in Ireland. Have you been to this?
8: symposium before? I've been uh, to Food on the Edge in 2017 as a uh, part of the audience, but I have a special relationship for Ireland, which is a country that I really love. And even a couple of the decades ago, more than a couple of decades, let's say 30 years ago, I was even seriously considering the idea of moving to Ireland, because Ooh. in those days, uh, it was just the beginning of the, what we called the Celtic Tiger, but for me, Ireland was almost a pre capitalistic country. Uh, it was a, a space of its own with huge, warm, um, welcoming from all, from all the people, there was a huge curiosity, and in the in the country, you could feel still the class differences, but everything merged in a sort of community feeling, in a sort of uh, we are all together, we are all in it together, in a sort of proudness uh, or pride for their culture, their roots, but also the desire to be one hundred percent. uh, active actors in the European community. It was an exciting place, an exciting place. So I have friends in Ireland, I come now and then, uh, not as much as I want, uh, but I love this country.
1: So your talk at the conference, you want to just tell us a little what the theme?
8: The theme was uh, uh, storytelling, uh, which for me was uh, the most terrible thing that happened in cuisine, but also in movies, in literature, storytelling, it's uh a it's a shortcut, uh, it's a way to pitch, uh, to make everybody understand it lacks uh, the poetry, it lacks the mystery, it's become something pedantic, pedagogic, etc. But since uh, 50 minutes it's not enough uh, to go deep, hey, I had to go, I, I need to do a sort of stand up. And, and, and I tried to put ideas down. Uh, uh, how to talk about uh, this storytelling, and for me the, the best way for was first to find a good title and then to move uh, from that. So it was a sort of talk, a work in progress, uh, on the way that I was approaching the the, the idea of the, of the storytelling.
1: Well, amazing! It's so nice to chat with you, to meet you, and I can't wait to see and a part of anything you do next because i know it will be new exciting york. whatever it is
8: it's coming to new york in 2024
1: okay let me know if i can do anything I to will. help
8: i will thank I you will. thanks to you thank, thank you, you. Grazie mille. Oh, my,
1: pleasure.
9: my name is jason bangeter i'm the chef at a a, a relation to boutique hotel and spa named langdon hall in cambridge ontario
1: when did you become the
9: chef there? I actually just celebrated my 10 year anniversary. Ooh,
1: So 10 years
9: ago, last week. Um, and I, and I've, I've been there ever since, and I love it. And uh, it's been a really great opportunity for me. It's a, I call it the chef's dream. It is a playground, it, 75 acres, wild ingredients. Our own gardens, really close to nature and uh, and farms in the area, and uh, I, every single day I feel inspired by the place.
1: And you're involved with Relais Chateau.
9: Yes, yeah, so we're uh, one of 13 Relais Chateau properties in Canada, mm-hmm. uh, and I sit on the World Culinary Council with Relais Chateau, uh, representing the Canadian culinary team.
1: And so that involves you traveling around the world to relay chateau properties.
9: Well, it, it involves <laughs> yes, absolutely. Am uh, I like, lucky? You? It, yeah, no. I'm, it's pretty special. Um, uh, but I'm very uh, humbled by the opportunity to network and work so closely with like-minded chefs and chefs that are in great properties that are, are, are doing you know great work to better the industry and better the planet and food. Uh, I think um, you know I'm lucky enough to sit on uh, a council where we have a meeting in North America where our delegates get together in North America once a year and we do a world meeting with the World Culinary Council members once a year. And, and uh, it's an opportunity to really look at how we can work together as a team and have some impact through making good choices and best practices around things like sustainable seafood choices and enriching the biodiversity in our regions and our countries and you know focusing on supporting local economy through getting ingredients from farms in our areas and supporting those artisanal small small production uh, artisans.
1: Amazing and you had mentioned to me that Mauro Cola Greco was your colleague in this.
9: Yeah so well he's actually the the vice chair of Raleigh Chateau at, okay. for Culinary so he is he's calling the, him a colleague he, 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 sits, he sits at the top of the, yeah. uh, the, the culinary section for Raleigh Chateau yeah, yeah he's and he, he just actually came on uh, previously it was Olivier Rolanger okay. and, uh, and so he's got he's, he's just jumped into the driver's seat and we're all very excited to be working with him on these initiatives that Raleigh Chateau is pushing forward
1: yeah, that's very exciting. As you know, he's in my chefwise book and I I've, yeah. I've been to his amazing restaurant, Mercer, and uh, yeah, he's he's wonderful. So that's, that's Yeah, we were just terrific. there. It was fantastic. So we we met here yeah. at Food on the Edge in Dublin, Ireland. So what brought you here this year?
9: Well, I think uh, representing Rulé and Chateau, uh, working with another Rulé Chateau chef here in Ireland, to sit on a panel and talk about exactly that. They talk about uh, specifically um, sourcing sustainable seafood and, you know, every year we work on something different, you know, whether it's um, picking a a lesser known species or something that takes pressure off of the more more, uh, common species, so one year we did seaweed, one year we did uh, bivalves, Um, this year we're talking about seasonality and the word seasonality and how it can be tricky because people think because something's in season that it's it's an ethical choice Uh, and what we're saying we're asking people to do is look a little deeper and start thinking about stock levels of species because because it's in season doesn't mean that it's actually in a healthy stock level Uh, so we just need to be looking at those those stock levels that are flourishing uh, and you know eat those species and let the species that need a bit more time to recover and to regenerate to, to give them that opportunity.
1: Fantastic. Well, your your talk was really great, and it's been so wonderful to meet you Me and be on two days of excursions as well throughout Dublin. Yeah. And so um, I look forward to visiting you one day, hopefully yes, in please. Canada. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, your property sounds
9: it's awesome. Amazing. Yeah, so, I'd love yeah. to show you around, and I'd love to cook for you. Ah! Because <laughs> we, we had a I'd love to cook for you conversation. <laughs> and uh, you know, I think we've been really blessed. We've been lucky to hang out together, and it's actually not been all rainy and cold. We've had some yeah. sunshine, and uh, we've shared some special moments. So thanks.
1: Thank you. And it's thank you. And you. thank you
9: for this uh, interview.
1: Oh, my pleasure.
9: Congratulations <laughs> on your book.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you. Well Great to meet you, and I'll see mm-hmm. you. Somewhere, Over yeah. <laughs> in the near future. <laughs> I'm sure. Okay. All
10: right. Thanks. Because Mahon is the Irish, it's an Irish name, uh, and then they put in Mac, but McMahon is more, I'd say, English in Boston.
1: Okay. So. so McMahon. McMahon. Hello, JP McMahon. Yes. McMahon.
10: McMahon. No, McMahon. JP McMahon.
1: McMahon. Hello. How are you? (laughs) I'm great. How are you? I'm very good. Um, Wow. Food on the Edge in Dublin, Ireland, where we've been for the past couple of days. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. It's been spectacular to be here. Let's go back a little bit and tell me about what inspired you to create this two-day symposium. I think... um,
10: this is its eighth, um, eighth, um, eighth rendition. I suppose we missed one for COVID, and uh, I was inspired around 2013 and 2014 from going to similar conferences and similar symposiums and events around the world. Um, I mean, Canada, Europe, America. Uh, in Mexico, and I suppose I realised that I was thinking, why why don't we do something like this in Ireland? I was thinking, do you know what, we have really good produce, and um, and I, I was I suppose I was part of a, a collection of chefs who kind of came to maturity around to the late uh, the late nineties, early twenty tens, and I felt that Irish food culture was 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 Getting gaining more momentum, and so I wanted to bring some of the world's best chefs um, to um, to Galway, and that was the original. I suppose the original sales pitch was to bring the world's best chefs. And if you saw from this year's Food in the Edge, it, the, the the brief has changed and grown out to a much wider brief. But at the very beginning, it was it was it, it was that, and I suppose I started um, contacting these uh, these chefs via social media or through the restaurants. And everyone said I was mad and they wouldn't come because they said, sure, why would they come to Ireland? There's nothing in Ireland. Um, but I suppose I had felt from, from even working with some of the chefs when we were in Mexico or we were in Charleston and, or in uh, South Carolina, um, I had felt that, you know, like the, the Irish produce is really, really good. And I think we do have a food culture. It's just quite understated, maybe more humble or modest um and I think there's uh there is something there to to tell people and I think people were would be interested and yeah, the, that has been going now eight years and we have grown into a be very much interested in all aspects of the food business from chefs to restaurateurs to food writers and journalists and food policy people and really it's it's a smorgasbord of, of everything about food for two days uh, through the format of little talks for 15 minutes or panels for 20 and it's like a big think tank for the industry i think and and uh uh, a kind of global gathering that takes place in Ireland but with of a, with a course with a focus on Irish food but really I think once you take your own food and, and examine it, it um, you can start to learn about the, the nature of everyone's food
1: Well it, it and you have an amazing reputation people know about this conference and many people know about this conference have said to me knowing that I was coming uh wonderful things jealous that they weren't coming themselves and I've been extremely honored to be here to be a part of it to see what you and your team do it was really been a magical week being here and um having the opportunity to do a panel with my Chef Wise book, with you on it, and with Andoni Luis Adariz, and Elena Regadas, and Tala Bashmi. Um, thank you for being a part of my book and a part of the panel. Can you share just a little bit about why you, yes, to me coming and, and talking about Chef Wise here?
10: Um, I think there's, there's a number number of reasons I think one is certainly um, I love the format of the book and the openness of the book and I mean in, in a certain way the book kind of mirrors the what we do at Food on the Edge in terms of inviting people and asking them to contribute their time and um, energy to talk about sustainability or identity or activism or the politics or any of any of those things. And um, uh, secondly, I think that um, the the book you the book you published with Fidon, and uh, I did a book with Fidon. I think for yes. me and so many speakers who have both published Fidon books have come to the conference. And I mean I love Fidon as a as a publisher as well, and I think that. Every time they have said to me, "This is someone we did a book with, uh, I think they 're interesting it 's always been someone remarkable, so I think they have a, 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 they have a great knack of finding chefs and food people around the world who write about food in a really really beautiful way, and the way they put the books together they 're real testaments to the subject of the book and um, so for me it was it was very easy to um, to to bring you over and um, get you to talk about um, the book and, and many of the many of the people who participated participated in the book are past speakers of food in the edge we have Virgilio martinez and matt orlando um uh two that weren't here this year but uh, still it kind of captures the spirit of i think the spirit of the time and as i said during the panel i think it's a good manual for for future I would say future chefs, but also I think for future people in the industry. I think if you're if you're like fifteen to eighteen year old and you're interested in cooking and you want to know what is happening on the global landscape. I think that your book is a good place to begin. And it's very hard to get all of those conversations if you were to buy uh, those books of all those chefs. And so it's, it's a wonderful little um, anthology of um, the kind of zeitgeist of, of what's happening now.
1: Well, thank you. It was really an honor to be here and to be a part of. So it was two days, two fa- fantastic days Of the symposium, and then I've been here now for two days of excursions, which has been quite incredible. Thank you. Um, You brought the conference to Dublin this year. Mm. I've heard that you're going to be going back to Galway next year, which is where your restaurant is. You Mm. want to talk a little bit about? Galway and and a little about your restaurant too.
10: Yeah, um, I mean I moved. I'm originally from Dublin and I, I grew up just outside the place called Manuth. And I travelled to Galway in 1999 for the summer. And Galway has a has a wonderful bug that that gets I, I, into you and um, under your skin. And it's uh, I spent a summer there, and then I, I was like, I want to live here. And it has a, has a wonderful kind of bohemian arts culture as a university it has a great um uh, restaurant food and restaurant culture lovely bar culture and um i was just very attracted to to it and I'm very cosmopolitan as well there's so many uh, people from everywhere i always say that in, in in galway it's very it's it's very hard to find sometimes a galwegian in galway uh because there's so many people from all over the world and i love that multicultural aspect and we opened um, uh, our first restaurant in Galway Cabo Bodega, which is we, we opened in 2008. And then uh, we opened a near um, restaurant in 2011 and in 2012 it won, it won a Michelin star. And I suppose the near is the, the flagship of our, our, our restaurants. Um, we had another restaurant that we closed during Covid unfortunately Tartar but near it was a a small project we began to um, investigate the possibilities of Irish food in terms of what grew um, locally what grew on the island um, what wild food was there what seaweed was there and to really try and develop a flavour profile of what an Irish cuisine might look like without drawing on um, uh, food products from elsewhere in the world so we don't use lemons or black pepper or avocados or um, olive oil or like many many soy sauce or anything like that and and so we we did this, and it has taken us a, a long time, and we're still discovering things. But I think that the kind of signature that we have in Anier is to try and offer people um, a contemporary vision of Irish food and. Many, many of our customers are from North America, and I think that that kind of uh, Irish American diaspora very much appeals to um, people in North America because many of them have a connection to Ireland and they want to get a taste of contemporary Irish food. And many of them are in Ireland looking at the wonderful sites such as Newgrange or the Cliffs of Moher or the many, many other uh, places along the Wild Atlantic Way. And so, yeah, we've been we've been incredibly fortunate. I mean, we were closed for eighteen months during COVID, and I thought the restaurant would never reopen. And we've been incredibly fortunate since then to to welcome back so many people. And we're we are doing a re, uh, redesign in January because we are we're going to stay another ten years. Hopefully, we've signed another lease, and I hope we will continue to refine and investigate Irish food and inspire younger chefs uh, and uh, younger front of house and uh, restaurateurs to follow us in the same journey.
1: Amazing. I can't wait to visit whenever that is. I'm definitely coming. And I know we have to get to dinner. We have things to do with the, with the group.
10: We do indeed. Um,
1: but before I let you go, would you please play my speed round game? Okay. What this is, is I name a couple of things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Okay. I'll give you choices. Perfect. Okay. So here we go. Eat in or eat out?
10: Um, eat out. Eat,
1: yes. Yeah, eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant. Yeah. I had to get a little clearer on that during COVID. Yes, that's true.
10: I, I, do you know what I'm... It's, it's very hard, but like, I, I love eating out. I do love cooking as well, but I do love exploring uh, other people's restaurants.
1: Okay. Indoor dining or fresco dining?
10: It depends on the weather, but indoor dining mostly, yes.
1: Okay. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne?
10: Always wine, and it will always be Pinot Noir. That is my Uh-oh, go-to okay. drink, and I love exploring the world's true Pinot Noirs. I love tasting them all.
1: Good to know. I was going to say, I was say, should I ask or Guinness, which is obviously beer,
10: yeah, but okay. Um, but anyway, I do have the odd the odd Guinness, and I certainly grew up uh, drinking Guinness, and it is an extremely popular um, stout. There are many other stouts in Ireland as well, but Guinness is the most popular. But certainly, um, in the last maybe five years, I think since I had children, I couldn't get to the pub anymore. We um, I got into pinot noirs and just started to explore.
1: Okay. How about tasting menu a la carte? I think tasting menu. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Look,
10: I look communal table.
1: Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Uh, Fish and chips or Irish stew?
10: Fish and chips.
1: Irish soda bread or scones?
10: Irish soda bread.
1: Okay. I do not believe I've had some yet. I have to oh, get one. Really? Some. There
10: has
6: been
1: some. It, or maybe I, have maybe I haven't it's, it's realized been, It has I been have.
10: floating around. Okay. The kind of brown bread that we've. That oh, we've that had. the brown bread is yeah, Irish soda bread? brown soda bread, yeah. I take it
1: back. I've had it.
10: Yeah, because I suppose it okay. looked... Yeah, it's just. I, in my head, I
1: was thinking it was ra- more of a agent. white bread. But, no, they okay. even
10: have a white um, soda bread, but traditionally. Uh, Soda bread in Ireland is brown because of our wonderful rainy weather and because it's so wet in Ireland um, the wheat that we produce is a little bit um, weaker not as glutinous and that's why soda bread the tradition of soda bread is much um, more developed in Ireland rather than say a sourdough tradition or a yeast tradition it's it's the weather we blame the
1: weather Okay, cool not like I want to leave but now I can leave because sometimes you got to like off the bucket look like you got to check like Things um,
10: okay. Two more: cheese plate or dessert? Oh well, that's a very difficult one. I mean, I love cheese, <laughs> and Irish cheese is great. But if it's if it's ice cream or or if it's tiramisu, that is my favorite oh, dessert. I think okay. I know actually. If, funnily enough my two favorite foods which is bizarre because people will think all the Irish things is spaghetti bolognese as a meal and tiramisu as a dessert and it's because the first food that made a massive impression on me when I was young when I was I don't know maybe maybe eight or nine I'm not too sure it could have been ten My parents brought me out to a restaurant and I ordered spaghetti bolognese and I thought it was the most magical thing ever. And we had never had pasta in the house up until that point. And my grandparents had never eaten pasta. And I was like, what is this? And I think it gave me an insight into... um, the, the the magic of food and the food could transport you to places. And because before that, I always felt food was just for, just for eating. And where I think that that was a little epiphany I had. And I still make it for my daughter. One of the daughters, the other daughter does not like specialise, unfortunately. But at least one of my daughters uh, is uh, slightly into food, and we we enjoy having bolognese.
1: Amazing! I learned so much in this talk we've had. Thank Last you. one is yes. Manhattan, Brooklyn. Dublin or Galway.
10: Do you know if I had to narrow them all down, uh, I I do like Brooklyn. Um, I do like Dublin and but I do you know what I'd have to say Galway, you know? I mean, I love Ma- I do like Manhattan and my daughter has some notions of going there and being an actress, but I just like she said all the Irish people who are famous live there. Um, but I think it's very hard, you know. Could I take a week in a week in Manhattan and a week in Galway? Maybe, but listen, um, I I'd have to say
1: Galway. Okay, well, I'm I'm glad you said Galway. Can't wait to visit Galway sure. one day. Huge congratulations to you! Like seriously, I did a, a conference before the pandemic, a one day conference, and I got a little taste into what it yes. takes to do this. Yes. And what you do is way more complex and and. It's absolutely fantastic. Two full days of programming, amazing speakers from around the world, and just so many other things happening besides what's happening on the stage. A beautiful property. Your whole team has been so extraordinary, lovely to work with. And I just want to say congratulations and keep doing what you're doing. And anything I could do to help, let me know. Thank you so much, Harry.
10: Thank I you. And thank you for being and Let me be involved in your book as well.
1: Well, thank you. It was my pleasure and honor to have you in Chef Wise. So
2: thank congratulations.
1: You. Thank, thank you. you.
2: This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese... The tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, Continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheese making craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com.
1: Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and this is my special on the road show from Food on the Edge, which took place from October 16th to 17th in Dublin, Ireland. I hope you enjoyed all of my interviews. Thank you so much to everyone who took the time to chat with me. It was really lovely to meet all of you and congratulations on all of your success. And big thank you to everyone just involved in the two day symposium, two days of excursions, everyone who took part in it, everyone who hosted us, who was so welcoming. And thank you to JP and Abigail and Julianne. So wonderful to meet you. I loved it. So it's time for my solo dining experience. This week is at Fish Shop. Here's the rundown. The location, 76 Benburb Street, Smithfield, Dublin, Ireland. The concept, from day one, it has served a daily changing menu of the best locally caught beer battered fish with really lovely wine. The owner's a couple, Peter Hogan and Jamoke Akintola Hogan. Why did I go? Well, I heard from a few trusted sources, including my friend Chadwick Boyd, that this was the best place in town for fish and chips and a must visit. So I had to go. My experience. So I was able to get a reservation for one. I took a car down to the Dublin city center because we were staying a little more in the outskirts. And um, first I walked around. I went, I was like the center of town. I went by this famous, I guess now touristy spot called the Temple Bar, where there was a lot of Guinness flowing and music playing and good vibes. And um, it was nice to see Dublin. It has some cobblestone streets and character. There's a canal that runs through, which I walked down or Up, I don't know, to get to this restaurant, which is about 15 minutes from the center of town. And um, when I arrived, it's a it's a small place. It's maybe got 20 seats, if not not even. Uh, It's mostly a bar with ledge dining. And I was on a counter ledge near the front, Um, so I looked over the menu. I chatted with my server a little bit about what to get. I ordered and enjoyed. So, what did I get? Well, of course, I got fish and chips. Beer battered catch of the day with chips and tartar sauce. And I chose hake as my fish. There were a couple you could choose from. And then I also got fried calamari with aioli to start. My take, damn good fish and chips, yes. Worth going to as advised. Super fresh, super crispy, fried crust, large portion I would say, piping hot when it came out crispy fries or fritz or chips, however you want to call them. Um, Yeah, it was great. And I also enjoyed the fried calamari. I mean, can't go wrong with some fried calamari to start. And um, it was a smaller portion, so it was good for one. So it's an intimate space. It's got a lot of natural light because there's big windows up front, but the space is mostly just a little bar. Um, It's casual, simplistic, some light woods. And again, it has this like ledge seating going around. Perfect for seafood lovers, I'd say solo or with a friend, or there's a takeout option because while I was there, several people came in and placed to-go orders. So if you can't get a reservation, keep that in mind. You can take it out. Interesting tidbit. So the fish shop began in a converted shed with alfresco dining in Blackrock Market in 2013, and it moved to this indoor location in 2015. Personal fun fact. So where else did I dine while in Dublin. Okay, so here's where I went. I went to Wolf, which is Caddy corner from where I was at the fish shop. And I had an Irish breakfast. I sat outside, actually. The sun came out and I had my jacket on, but it was nice enough to sit outside. It wasn't super cold. I stopped by a place called Bread 41 and had a second brunch. Um, they're known for their bread. They had bread at our conference, which was amazing because I got to try lots of different styles they had, and it was all excellent. I went by Marco Pierre White Steakhouse and Grill. I had some steak frites and onion soup and Eton Mess, Um, all great. Uh, I'd never been to a Marco Pierre White restaurant, so I wanted to go while I could. I also went to Library Street, and I met Chef Kevin Burke and his team. Um, This place was also highly recommended to me by several people, including Jack McGarry of the Dead Rabbit in New York City, who's from Ireland. And it was nice because I went there. I threw out Jack's name, and we had an instant connection. And the team was so lovely. They sent me out a couple of things that I had more food than I could eat, but it was all delicious. I had spatchcock quail. I had some snacks. I had cabbage. I an amazing Paris breast for dessert, really outstanding. Um, I got to chat with Kevin a little bit and yeah, I was really glad I got to go there and squeeze it into this, this trip. And I also got to squeeze in going to chapter one, which is a two Michelin star tasting menu restaurant. Um, no, I don't know how I find the time to do this either, but that was great. I went bar hopping too, as one does. I went to the Vintage Cocktail Club, which is speakeasy that on the door, it just has VCC outside. So you kind of got to know where it is and find it. And then you go upstairs, it's got this like swanky cocktail club. I had a nice non-alcoholic drink there. And then I also went to Bar 1661, which a few people recommended. And Jack McGarry had done a collaboration with them at the Dead Rabbit for their holiday pop-up last year, which I had actually gone to. Um, so I got to meet part of their team, the when the bartender's David George was there, and we connected through this relationship with, with Jack and also give a shout out to Kim, known as the restaurant enabler, who gave me a bunch of tips on places to go. And she was friendly with, with them as well. And I had an awesome non-alcoholic drink called the Charlie. So that was great. Um, I'm probably missing some stuff, but that's the gist of where I ate and drank while in Dublin, and it was all really great. So the cost of my meal is 27 euro. This is going back to Fish Shop, and would I go back, yes, and their website is fish-shop.ie and on Instagram at fishshopbenburp. And that's the show. Thank you so much again to JP McMahon, Abigail Coleron, Julianne Fahardi, and the entire team of Food on the Edge for having me, for hosting this symposium, which was extraordinary, and the two days of excursions around Dublin. It was Really, a treat to be a part of, and I appreciate all of you. And congratulations on everything. I hope to be back in the future and come to Food on the Edge in Galway. Thank you also to all of the outstanding chefs on our Chefwise panel. Again, it was just an honor to be on stage with you and have you as contributors to my book. And that includes JP McMahon and Donnie Luis Adoriz. Elena Regadas, and Tala Bashmi. Thank you to everyone who spoke with me on this show. Alessandro Kozolino, Endo Kazutoshi, Rich Shi, Tom Jenkins, Arlene Stein, Andrea Petrini, Jason Bangerter, and JP McMahon. I will include in our show notes who. Everyone is so you can find out more about them and more about food on the edge. Their website is foodontheedge.ie and on Instagram at food on the edge and hashtag fote twenty twenty three. You can find me on Instagram at. Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and in com. All of our shows are archived at org. You're also on iTunes, teacher and Spotify. Check out my new book, Chef Wise, Life Lessons from Leading Chefs Around the World by Fiden, now available wherever books are sold. Many thanks to my engineer today, Armin. I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bayer. Stay tuned for more on-the-road episodes from my culinary travels. Stay safe and well, and thank you, as always, for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.